Let's read from God's Word, turning to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, and we're reading from the first verse. Here the Lord Jesus compares himself to the shepherd. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. In the ancient Middle East, agriculture was of great importance. Most people were engaged in one way or another in some kind of agriculture, even if they had another occupation. They might not, as we might say, be full-time farmers, but uh, they might have had a few cattle or sheep. They might have grown uh, some crops for their own use. Uh, And that was the way life was. That was the kind of culture in those days. Uh, Very different, perhaps, from what most uh, of us are accustomed to. Uh, My first congregation was uh, a rural, a farming congregation, and that was crossing a culture, learning a different language, a different way of life. Uh, But though it took adapting, in time you were able to understand the the concerns uh, about agriculture. It shaped life, the uh, pattern of the year, and you find that very much, of course, uh, in the Bible. And so it's no surprise that Jesus uh, drew many of his illustrations from uh, agriculture, Illustrations to help his hearers understand the work that he came to do. And on the human level, as he would speak about 
sowing and reaping and uh, keeping livestock and so forth, uh, people would understand, they would be able to relate uh, to what he was saying. Uh, At times, the the spiritual lesson uh, passed them by. We see that uh, even here in uh, John chapter 10. Uh, They could understand at a certain level uh, what he was saying, but sometimes the deeper uh, spiritual lesson uh, that they didn't understand. But they could relate to the illustrations, and of course that's what uh, preachers and teachers are always uh, seeking. And in John 10, we read a portion uh, of it earlier, uh, Jesus is using the language of shepherding uh, to, to make a point about his person and his work. Now, one significant aspect of the shepherd's role, very different from modern day uh, caring for sheep, uh, the shepherd would be with the sheep constantly. They wouldn't simply put them in a field, uh, put out feed for them, uh, and check them a couple of times a day. Uh, but the shepherd really lived with the sheep. Uh, they were a part of his life. And one thing we need to, to grasp, particularly uh, in regard to John chapter 10, the sheepfold, uh, really be a walled enclosure, uh, generally didn't have uh, a gate to keep the sheep in. Of course, sheep being the kind of creatures they are, uh, are prone to wander. One starts to go and they're all uh, following as, as quickly as they can. So how were the sheep kept in? Well, the custom was that the shepherd really supplied the gate himself. He would uh, sleep in the, uh, in the opening to the sheepfold. He literally was uh, the gate of the sheepfold. That was the role uh, the shepherd had uh, to fulfill. It can't have been terribly comfortable for him. Maybe you get used uh, to it, but the shepherd was literally the gate into the sheepfold. And so Jesus picks up On that, something his hearers would be very uh, familiar with. Uh, And so he says in John 10 and verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus, the gate. I want to think a little of that uh, today and to see how it takes us Uh, right to the heart of the work uh, that he came to do. Jesus, the gate. First of all, we need to think about Jesus' identity. Jesus' identity. I am the gate, he says. It's a number of, one of a number of what are called the I am sayings. Uh, recorded uh, in John's Gospel. Uh, And these are very significant. We've looked at them uh, in the past. I am the gate. And Jesus echoes words that we find in the Old Testament, the the words of God. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 at the burning bush, You remember, perhaps, that Moses is being sent down to Egypt, and he says to God, who will I say has sent me? They're going to ask, obviously, who has sent you, Moses? And God answers. God's response is significant. He says, I am 
who I am. It's a, it's a difficult expression to, to plumb the depths of it, but it's God's description of himself. I am who I am. It, among other things, means he is the eternal, the almighty, and the gracious God. I am who I am. Jesus' use of these words, I am, echo that. His ears would, would pick up the connection. And it was a very clear claim to deity. We say in all sorts of ways, I'm this, I'm that. And nobody thinks anything of it. But when Jesus said, I am the gate, it is a claim to deity. He is claiming to speak and act as God as well as man. I am very deliberately, uh, in, in the original language, it could have been put more simply, but it's put in this way so that the connection can be made to what God says there in Exodus chapter 3. I am. Jesus is the I am. Jesus speaks as God. And that immediately shows us something of the, the richness and the wonder of his person. He is a man, a true man, and yet also he is God. That's the claim he makes. I am the gate. He is the only entrance into a living relationship with God. That's what the, the sheepfold stands for. If you're in the sheepfold, you're in a relationship with God. You're within his family. And Jesus is the only means of entrance into the fold, into a relationship with God, into the church. That's a stupendous claim. He is saying, I alone am the means of entry into a relationship with God. I am the only means of entry into the flock of God. There is not another means of entry. And that isn't a popular claim in our day. It in a sense, never was, but certainly in our culture, in our day, that is most politically incorrect. To claim that he is the only means of entrance. That's not the common view that you find people expressing. If they believe a relationship with God is possible at all, and they may well say it isn't, but if they believe it's possible to have a relationship with God, then the common view is that there are any number of ways to enter into that relationship. Not just one. The arrogance, as they see it, of people saying there's only one way. And if you're following another way, another religion, another philosophy, you have to change and come this way through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, of course, you know is written off as arrogant, as something from a bygone age when people believed such nonsense. There are many ways, we are told, 
to have a relationship with God. In fact, some would suggest that really any way that works for you, any way about which you're sincere will do. And it may work for you, might not work for other people, but that doesn't matter. If it works for you, that is a gate into the sheepfold. That is a gate to a relationship with God. And if it works for you, that's fine. And nobody can criticize your choice. It's simply a reflection of the fact we're living in a society where radical pluralism reigns. And when Christians come along and say there's only one way, it's unthinkable to many people. There are many ways, we are told. Any sincere way that works for you will do. But that isn't the case. That is utterly misguided. Jesus says that he is the gate, and he can say he is the gate because of the unique work he has done to provide entrance. You know, people sometimes say all religions are the same. Well, people who say that are people who've never seriously looked at other religions. You could not look at what different religions say and honestly conclude they all say the same thing. Because they don't. We need to be honest about that. They don't say the same thing. And what Jesus says is utterly different from anything else that you will encounter. And he can say, I am the gate because he has performed a unique work that opens the way for people like you and me to come into the sheepfold, to come in to God's flock. And what has he done? Well, he tells us in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's his work. The last thing a human shepherd could have done for a sheep, a last despairing act, dying for the sheep, that is the very heart of Jesus' work. That is why he has come. And the truth is, we can't sidestep the death of Christ when we're thinking about who is Jesus and what has he done. We can't get around the fact that he died. It's not enough to say, well, he was a good teacher, he's a good example. He died, and that is at the center. It won't go away. You can't get around it. You have to deal with it. He died. He came to die. And the Son of God incarnate, that's who Jesus is, has taken the sins of all the sinners who will ever trust in him. And he's taken their punishment, everything that they deserve. And when he laid down his life for the sheep, He was taking their sin, their guilt, their punishment. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 2. He says, He himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree. He carried the weight that was loaded on Jesus, on the shepherd, the cost of saving the sheep. And only he has done that. And only he could do that. And that means there is no other gate. There is no one else, no religious leader, no philosopher who has died for the sins of people. Only Jesus. And only he is, only he can be the gate of the sheepfold. 
All others, Jesus says, and he doesn't mince his words, does he? All others are thieves and robbers. And people try to get into the sheepfold in various other ways. There are people who rely on living a moral life, trying to be good people, good neighbors, charitable, avoiding open sin, decent people. And they think that will get them into the sheepfold. Others rely on religion, whatever version it might be, even the Christian religion, going to church, carrying a Bible, reading the Bible maybe sometimes. And they rely on that for admission to the sheepfold. Now, those things may be good and proper in their place, but they don't deal with our sin. These are all efforts to save ourselves. And they're all really just different ways of rejecting the only gate that God has given. The only Savior who can deal with our sins. To suggest there's another way, a second way, is to say that Jesus really was deceiving us. And he said, I'm the gate. There's only one way of admission. There's only one entrance. Jesus' identity. I am the gate. He and he alone, because he and he alone has died for sinners. No one else could do it. No one else has done it. There is no other means of entering the fold. Jesus' identity. Secondly, Jesus' invitation. Jesus' invitation. Jesus, by implication, invites people to come into the sheepfold. As he says here, whoever enters through me. So he's holding out to us the possibility of entering the sheepfold. Whoever enters. So, yes, it is possible to enter the sheepfold. You can go in, Jesus says. Go into salvation. Go into the flock. Go into the church. It is possible. If we enter through him, it is possible. And he is inviting us to do that. But how do we actually do it? To say, well, we have to go through Jesus. What do we mean by that? How do we spell it out? clearly so that we can understand what that means. The answer the Bible gives us is that we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the answer the Apostle Paul gave to the Philippian jailer, Acts 16 and verse 31. There's a man who was traumatized in the earthquake, a man who suddenly was thinking of eternal things of salvation and he runs into Paul and he says what must I do to be saved and Paul's answer is as clear as it could be believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved believe in the Lord Jesus What is it to believe in the Lord Jesus? Plenty of people will say, well, yeah, I believe he existed. I believe there was somebody called Jesus. I believe he said some of the things we find in the Bible. He did some of them. But what do we mean when we say as Christians, you must believe in the Lord Jesus? 
Well, certainly, basically, we need to understand what the Bible says about him. We need to have the basic facts as who Jesus is, God and man. What he did, he lived, he died, he rose again in order to save sinners. We need the basic facts. We need to know who he is in that sense and what he has done to save sinners. But that's not enough. There are plenty of people who know those things. They maybe know them better than some of us. But they're not saved. They're not Christians. We need more. Not only do we need to know the facts, we need to understand their impact on us. We need to feel the impact. We need to be sorry for our sins, what the Bible calls repentance. Sorry that we've broken God's law. And that's essential. If we're not sorry for our sins, why would we ever want a Savior? We don't think we need one. Unless we really realize we're sinners, and that is a serious thing. So we need to know the facts. We need to be sorry for our sins. We need to repent. And we need to put our trust in Jesus to save us and ask him to be our Savior and our Lord. One of the words in the Bible for believing has a sense of leaning, leaning on something. And if you lean on something for support, you trust it will bear your weight. And really, faith in Jesus Christ is like that. We believe that he's able to save us. And we lean our weight on him. We stop thinking about trying to be good enough for God and trying to save ourselves and all that nonsense. And we lean on Christ. And we ask him to save us. And be our Lord. That's believing in the Lord Jesus in the way that saves. That's what Paul meant when he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. We need to trust ourselves. Until we're trusting Christ to save us, we're not saved. If we're trying to trust Christ plus something else, our efforts, our goodness, our religion, we're not really trusting Him. We're leaning on Christ, leaning all our weight on him. We're trusting him to save us. And that's how we go through Christ into the sheepfold. We believe in him. We know who he is. We know what he's done to save sinners. We realize we need a savior and we're grieved because we've broken God's law. And we trust Christ. And Christ alone to save us. You see, it's not enough just to look at the gate. And to think to yourself, well, you know, I could go through there. I could go through that gate into the sheepfold. And you could learn a lot about gates. And how they're made and how they operate. You could become an expert in gates. And yet never go through the gate into the sheepfold and never be saved. And there are people like that. There are scholars in biblical departments, in universities and colleges who spend their careers studying gates. 
They could blind you with theology. They know far more than any of us. They know what gates look like. They know how they function. They could tell you the history of gates. But they've never gone through the gate and been saved. And it's dangerously easy, especially if you attend a church and maybe you read your Bible to just end up with somebody who knows a lot about gates. And to know I could go through, and that's the way in, but never actually go. And to spend your life right to its end, just looking at the gate. Even thinking maybe I must go in sometime. I really must get around to it. And you never do. And maybe you'll die an expert in gates who's still outside the sheepfold and never went in. And you may know more about gates. You may know more about Jesus than many as a Christian. But you've never gone in. And you're not saved. That's a fatal mistake. Please do not make that mistake. Become an expert in gates and never go in. Learn about Jesus and never trust him. It's a fatal mistake. And yet he invites whoever comes. Literally says, if anyone, if anyone enters through me, anyone, That is wonderful. It is a wide, it is a big invitation he issues. Human distinctions don't matter. Your ethnicity, your background, your education, your lack of it, even the sins you've committed don't matter. You are part of the anyone, if anyone enters through him. That's you. Whoever you are, whatever your sins, if you enter through him, you'll be saved. It's a wide invitation. That's the the loving heart of God to sinners like you and me. If anyone goes through him, you will not be turned away. The Lord will not say you're the wrong color. He'll not say you have the wrong background. He'll not say you haven't enough education. He'll not say your sins are too big. If anyone enters through him, they'll be saved. You are the anyone. If you'll come, you will not be turned away. And it means too that if you do not enter the sheepfold, if you leave this life not one of the flock, the only one to blame will be you. Only you. Jesus said, if anyone. And if you don't enter, you're to blame. Not the Lord, not anybody else. Just you. There will be no excuses. But what a wide, generous invitation Christ gives. And he says, I am the gate. 
It's a present uh, tense. It's a present invitation. It's you now here today. He doesn't simply say, I was the gate or I will be. Now, as you're sitting here in this building, in this service today, Jesus says, I am the gate. Now's your opportunity. It's there in front of you. If you will come, you'll be saved. And none of us knows how long our opportunity will last. God's so good. He's given you another opportunity today. We've no guarantee he'll give any of us another opportunity. We don't know. We don't know. Most like to think, I've got years ahead of me. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've hours. Maybe you've minutes. I am the gate. The time of opportunity can pass very quickly and very suddenly. I am the gate. Now, here and now, Jesus says, I am the gate. Don't miss the opportunity. Jesus' identity, Jesus' invitation, and finally, Jesus' promise. Jesus' promise. A wonderful promise to all those who accept the invitation, who do enter through him, he says, you will be saved. Anyone who enters through him will be saved. Oh, now there's a word abused in this part of the world, isn't it? There is a word that's used casually and thoughtlessly. Saved, what does it mean? Well, saved means several things. It means saved from sin. Saved from sin. We've talked about that. The guilt and the punishment of our sin is removed. The dominating power of sin is broken once for all. And beyond death, the very presence of sin will be gone. It's hard to imagine, but sin and fall and temptation will be gone in glory. We're saved from sin. That's a wonderful privilege. The burden of guilt that weighs down upon us is lifted because Jesus has taken it and it's gone. Saved from sin. But also the Bible tells us saved from Satan. Saved from Satan. He's no longer our master. You see, by nature as sinners, Satan is our master. Now we think we're free and we're independent. We like to think that. I run my life my way. You don't. As a sinner, your master actually is Satan. Even if your sins are very respectable, He's still your master. When we are saved, his dominion's broken once for all. Jesus has defeated Satan at the cross. He's no claim over the Christian any longer. Oh yes, he will still tempt us. He will still try to bring us down and sometimes we will fall. But he will never be our master again. And that is wonderfully liberating 
to think that now Christ is our Lord, not Satan. And he will never get that grip of us again. Jesus holds on to us and he keeps us safe. We are saved from sin. We are saved from Satan. And we're saved from death. Saved from death. Spiritually, we're dead as sinners. That's what the Bible says. We're dead in our sins. We've no relationship to God. We don't worship him. We don't love him. We don't serve him. We're dead. When we are saved, that death is ended. We are raised to spiritual life in Christ. We've entered life in fellowship with the Lord. The thing we never had as sinners. We're alive. Once we were dead, in Christ we're alive. Isn't that wonderful? We're alive spiritually. We can love God. We can serve God. We can worship God. All the things we couldn't do when we were dead in our sins, now we can do and we want to do them. We're alive. And at the resurrection, our bodies also will be made alive. See, our Christian hope is not just that our souls will be saved, but also that our bodies will be saved. And when we rise up at the last day to meet Jesus, our bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. We'll share in resurrection glory. We'll enter into all the wonders of a renewed creation that that goes beyond our imagination. We're saved from death, spiritually and one day physically. Total victory. Jesus saves us completely, body and soul. So what does it mean to be saved? It means to be saved from sin. It means to be saved from Satan, It means to be saved from death. What a rich picture Jesus gives us of this life. We could look at it, we don't have time. But he says that this person who is saved will come in and go out and find pasture. It's a sheep, of course, in and out, morning, night, safe overnight. Language that talks about being fed, about being kept safe, Every blessing that Jesus gives his people, it's all there for us, everything we'll ever need. We sing in Psalm 23, we'll be singing it in a moment, that we lack nothing as his sheep, nothing. There are things we might want we don't have, but we'll have everything we need. We'll go in, we'll go out, we'll have pasture, we'll be fed, we'll be spiritually healthy, we'll be growing And nothing can take away those blessings. That's a wonderful prospect. Jesus keeps us safe in the fold. Wolves will never get us. We'll never wander away. We're kept secure. Saved from sin. Saved from Satan. Saved from death. Kept secure fed, watered, protected, blessed. Everything we could ever want. Jesus says, I am the gate. Have you entered 
through that gate? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you? To save you from your sins, to save you from Satan's dominion, to save you from death and all its senses. The trust you have. And if you haven't here today, again, God is giving you an opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't stay outside looking at the gate.